Hello everyone and welcome back to the New Hampshire Business Show. My name is Chris Pastrana and today we're here with Nate Lambert of Spitfire Firearms Training. How's it going? Not bad, how are you? Doing well. So let's get started. Uh, tell me about yourself and the business and where it all started and all the fun stuff. Sure. Uh, my dad was a police officer for 19 years and uh, I've always been immensely proud of him. He uh, was really exemplified the concept of protecting and serving people. Um, he would be the type of guy where he'd arrest somebody for drugs or something and they would turn to him and say I don't even know what day it is but they knew that they could trust him because even though they'd arre he'd arrested them he was going to treat them fairly so yeah. it's kind of a, know, an amazing thing out there there's a, there's a lot of good officers out there but he really exemplified what I would consider was the finest example of being a police officer so uh, I always enjoyed shooting it was kind of a, a hobby thing you know, I bought my first gun when I was 21 and it was about when I was in my late 20s, 26, 27, that I just did an inventory of how many women, especially, who had been in bad situations, um, situations that you know, severely impacted their life. Yeah. Um, in the short term, negatively, you know, a lot of them have been able to find that as a source of strength and, and uh, heal from that and even grow out of it, you know, um, to a point where they have new strengths. But I just realized that if there was a tool out there that was effective for helping them protect themselves, uh, you know, we tend to think of women in that regard, but men too. You know, we uh, really enjoy the concept of protecting our families and mm. being kind of tough and you know all that. I mean, you ask most guys, they want to act tough. So, but the reality is that uh, most tools out there for self-defense are uh, stopgap solutions, you know, pepper spray. Um, there's some self-defense, there's something called the ASP, which is a little baton that yeah. folds up like to six inch length and you whip it out and it kind of extends to like a foot and a half. And uh, all those types of things are require a level of training and um, are kind of stopgap. They're kind of in the middle. They're not really going to avail, you know, somebody in their 70s or 80s the way a firearm could. So. Yeah. Firearms, you know, um, obviously you have to understand the limitations of firearms and not the legal obligations you have for them. But I really feel passionate about providing the service to train people um, to understand how to use them and how to employ them. Yeah. So, and uh, struck it up with my uh, one of my biz, uh, business contacts on the com carpentry side, contracting side. Uh, who is going to head to New Mexico with her daughter for a week-long training seminar um, covering everything from muzzle loaders and black powder, archery, right up to automatic firearms. Yeah. Uh, and she was really excited about it. It was her daughter's idea. And when she came back, she was just on fire. She had had so much fun. She didn't realize how much fun this could be um, in addition to you know providing valuable service. Um, some folks, you know, love golfing. Some folks, they love, you know, football. Some folks love shooting just as a recreational hobby. And uh, I certainly fall into that category as well as my business partner. And we've just been, over the past four years or so, really uh, buckling down and committing to getting better and better education in regards to firearms so that we don't just know the, the basics of um, safe gun handling, you know, the, the ABCs and... Um, some of the basic defensive stuff like how to work out of a holster, but we've really pursued uh, tr trying to get a, an even exposure from all um, types of different instructors on um, all of the 
intricacies of deploying a firearm, transitioning to other targets, um, and even using rifles sometimes. And, you know, we get to have a lot of fun rubbing elbows with some Green Berets and Navy SEALs and FBI SWAT guys and, you know, all these, you know, different... I'm sure they have their, their own uh, classifications for, you know, they have real names, but that's basically who we work with sometimes, and uh, it's a ton of fun and working with really cool people. Yeah. Uh, during our continuing education, so yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. So, so that's pretty cool. Um, now, I didn't hear you said it or not, but you were in the military. I was time? never in the military. I was thinking about joining, but I never wanted to lie about my asthma. And yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> I uh, you know, integrity is one of the things that you know you're supposed to have going into the military. So I was like, supposed um, to, yeah. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm just. I'd rather exemplify that. And one of the recruiters <laughs> I went to, uh, he was like, "Wow, that's. I'm really glad that you. You know, that should serve you well in life." And I, I kind of wish you would join, but, uh, you know, I understand you don't want to lie. Yeah. So, yep. And, uh, you know, the police never appealed to me because, man, they work some hard shifts, especially if you're uh, in a bigger town. Yeah. Um, you're going to be, you know, pulling a lot of 12-hour night shifts. And that's just, that's hard on your health. So, yeah. you know, um, I think that, you know, most people, to, you know, regardless of their background, can have a strength. You know, normally you'd expect somebody in firearms to either come out of military police, and a lot of them are. Mm-hmm. A lot of firearms instructors are. But I think coming from the civilian side um, does give us some benefit. Um, the fact that we are trying to provide a training environment that is as fun as possible while still having, you know, hardline objectives. Uh, every time for the first year or two I would go down for training knowing the caliber of people I was working with I would get knots in my stomach I mean I just you know all kinds of thoughts running through my head like I don't want to look like a total dweeb I don't want to let anybody down you know just silly stuff like that but uh, you know I would get huge knots in my stomach because of the types of people we were working with you know they're really top of the line you know as they say tier one professionals people that had been in Iraq or Afghanistan knocking down doors for years were training us and uh, it's kind of intimidating. So the goal for Spitfire is to, um, you know, we have a couple things going at once, but our, our biggest goal is to be as non-intimidating as possible and you know, reach as many folks as possible, even people that don't agree with us necessarily about the scope of firearms ownership that we would advocate for. Mm-hmm. We still believe that they have the right to defend themselves and they may find themselves at a time thinking maybe a pistol's right for me and we definitely want to work with them and don't want to you know stoke any political flames if possible and just help people like i said in as non-intimidating an environment as possible having fun but still teaching you know objectively the necessities of safety that firearms entail yeah and that's actually a very interesting point because politically i don't want to get too much into it but very hot topic Oh yeah, um, especially on the border with Vermont right now. <laughs> I was I was that too. Because um, this is a very interesting place, especially as you know. I mean, I'm sure not everyone in Vermont is super crazy, but you know, there's a very yeah liberal perspective of firearms that you yep. know they're all bad. No one should have them. No one should yeah. use them. Yeah, I mean, every all the topics that I've dealt with. I mean, I've I've not been involved in debate or anything, uh, but I've I've delved into it a little bit and realized that. There's always, you know, the hard hard left, hard right, whatever, and um, there's a centrist group, and it uh, it seems to be, in both those cases, the extreme edges of those groups that kind of push things along, and the people in the middle kind of, you know, they don't want to rock the boat too much, and so things kind of move along. 
not because of the majority, but usually because of a vocal minority. Yeah. And, um, you know, whatever disagreements I might have, um, I just, I think at the end of the day, I really, I believe that people have the right to defend themselves. Yeah. Um, there will always be bad people. I don't, you know, we don't like to say that, but there always will be mm-hmm. groups of people, um, not necessarily working together, but folks that hurt other people for whatever reason. And I'm not here to talk about psychology or anything, but, you know, or whether that's them being wicked or psychologically off kilter or whatever, but there is no evidence that we're ever going to erase that in humanity. And no. I want, I want everyone who has the desire to be able to get the training to keep themselves and their loved ones safe. Yeah. And so, I mean, if you choose a revolver because you think people shouldn't have any more than five rounds in your gun, um, then we'll help you train. But yeah. personally, I... I think the more rounds you have at your disposal, the better, <laughs> yeah. to be quite honest with you. I, I would agree with you. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, so without getting too political, let's move into the type of training. Because yep. uh, this is one of the, the arguments I get all the time about my stance on gun ownership, which yep. is very, very strong for pro. Yep. Like, very strong. Yeah, I mean, my, my political, <laughs> I agree politically, I, that is my leaning as well. Yeah. Um, you know, we already prohibit grenade launchers and, you know, yeah. automatic firearms are difficult to get. And, yeah. you know, um, the reality is if you you don't believe in tyrants, uh, just wait five years because, you know, when your political party loses, you're kind of nervous, yeah. <laughs> you know. And uh, tyranny has existed all throughout history. And, uh, you know, eventually those people in power need to realize that... Um, they have an obligation to safeguard the people underneath them. And if you get to the point where your view of that is that you'll send police door to door hurting people to protect them, uh, you know, Soviet Russia did that, you know, uh, to lesser extent, states in the Far East, uh, Cambodia, Vietnam, uh, China, yeah. you know. And, uh, you know, the Venezuela is having a hard time. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they're having a hard time right now. So. Um, the state has the ability to exercise force right now. Um, you know, what every state, you know, every government does that. And uh, the government should not be the exclusive ownership owners of that. The people should possess the means to be able to resist a government that might become skewed. And there's all kinds of different, you know, throughout history. I mean, communism is a new development to history. Socialism is to fascism. But they they all carry more or less the same belief that they are the only ones that should have power they know better than the people and uh you know a huge debate that i had and this is kind of getting a little off topic but (laughs) between communism fascism there are differences between the two but ultimately the the people at the top are murderers and they want all the power for themselves and that's you know (laughs) so yeah and i always think it's funny because i yeah we definitely get off topic here but you know for as much as everyone hates Nazis, yep. like they really let communists slide yeah. on on this. Yep. And I'm like, man, if, between Stalin, Mao, and you know, they killed way more people. Than I mean, Hitler, Hitler, Hitler had a plan to liquidate 90 percent of the Russian population. So yeah. if he had won, he would have he would have he would have surpassed them all. But uh, fortunately, yeah. he didn't. So, so but yeah, uh, so yeah, the types of training that we focus on. And again, being the non-intimidating, and partly because to get more certifications, we need more and more hours of training in order to attain those. And I'll be going down for a, a patrol rifle instructor certification this nice. year, which will allow me to teach um, 
basically a 101 through a 104 curriculum with rifle, which is uh, up and up to the point where you're kind of moving around vehicles and, and understanding how to move as a team. That's the real fundamentals of that. So yeah. that's that's the kind of certificate I'm after. But with pistols right now, which is certainly what most people are going to want to work with, um, you know, dealing with a rifle, it's more it's cumbersome in certain ways. I mean, it gives you a lot more capabilities, but it's more cumbersome yeah. in certain ways. Obviously, it's harder to walk around with a rifle. <laughs> you really look like a weirdo. Yes. Um, and uh, to be quite honest, the reality is um, the only time that you'd be deploying that would be either, you know, really in the woods, maybe home defense, or if literally the government collapsed, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't view that as a particularly likely scenario. I really enjoy using rifles, but most folks are in the pistol side of things. And yeah. what we're pursuing right now is uh, more or less two separate classes, your 101 class and your 102 class. And the 102 class, uh, pardon me, the 101 class, you're looking at... Um, taking people that may have never had a gun, you know, held a gun in their lives, and teaching them what we would call baseline rules of safety. Sometimes we call them fundamental rules. Um, the way the you know the NRA teaches, yeah, and a lot of other organizations teach beginners is with one set, and then as folks mature, I mean, it's just a normal learning process that you mature and you you develop uh, maturity and safe weapons handling. That we kind of start explaining why those rules are the way they are and how sometimes you can bend them. You shouldn't break them, but know redefining the term like um one of the terms is you keep your firearm loaded until it's ready to use mm. well what that means for an experienced gun owner is that i'm going to put my firearm in my holster today and carry it around well at that point it's usually loaded yeah so and a lot of people know, carry you with at least one in the chamber yeah too. and i mean some people i mean if i've got my boy over my shoulder then i've got a shoulder holster on I'm not carrying chambered, <laughs> and yeah. most I've talked to a couple experienced guys about this, and they're like, "Oh, I totally understand." And you know, some people are have their strong opinion that the gun will never go off, and like I get that, but I just it's it's just weird. <laughs> yeah. So there, if uh, whatever your conviction on that particular item is, um, trained to the way you carry. So. Yeah. But uh, the 101 class, like I said, we're really focusing on that safety bit, and really one of the big things um, I've had a lot of experience uh, or I should say one of the things I've heard a lot from women um, you know guys of course think they can handle anything pretty much you know until you until you put it in their hands and then they then reality sets in but women tend to be more sensible about this and because of that they they think well I want a smaller gun that's easier to handle and uh, you know a 22 long rifle which is one of the smallest calibers you can get you know the round is the smallest um, they think that they should stick with that and um, we want to demonstrate to them what that round's capable of doing and also why they can go with something much larger. So we frequently start our students out with a 22 long rifle. The cartridge is called long rifle even though yeah. it's you know frequently put in pistols. Um, we'll start them out with a revolver, a very heavy revolver and put a string of that, you know, five, six rounds through that revolver for them. Um, you know, them shooting and almost immediately, so long as they were safe, we'll show them how you know, as a as a grown man, I can shoot a nine millimeter pistol, um, gripping it upside down and actuating with my with my pinky. You know, shooting yeah. with my pinky. Say, so, you know, there, if it's not going to jump out of my hand, you know, I can put groupings on the target, put a couple rounds through it. I can put rounds down on that target. The gun is not going to jump out of my hands. You certainly can have a conventional grip on this same yeah. firearm, and of course, it feels it has more energy. Uh, it's but it's like the difference between somebody giving you kind of a limp handshake and somebody giving you a firm handshake. It's not yeah. going to break your hand. Yeah, and this so. is usually the argument, uh, not argument, but actually it is an argument with me and my wife. <laughs> um, but she wants a, 
Is it a 308? Is it a much 380? 380, thank yep. you. So yep. the 380, which is yep. like, oh, I like it. It's it's small, and I'm like, but yep. it's really snappy. Yeah. And it's got a lot of, you know, torque on your wrist and stuff. Yeah. Where in so, comparison, um, a 9 mil is nice. Yeah, I mean, the biggest, the biggest thing to think about when you're looking at cartridges and frame size, those are the two things that are going to, to determine how much energy you feel. So a 22 long rifle feels really light regardless of the frame you put it in because it's so small the problem with that round is not only is it not deliver much energy on the target which means you're not gonna be able to stop a th potential threat yeah the other disadvantage is that there's so little energy in the round itself that it normally can't cycle the slide in a normal pistol um, so semi-automatic the one where the slide cycles on the top as opposed to revolver you know that's not dependent on the amount of energy in the round that's a mechanical function yeah. of, of metal and springs and all that and some gun guy out there is going to probably correct me on that one. But anyway, <laughs> the point being is that it's it's metal, it's levers, it's it's just the way the gun works. Yeah. It has nothing to do with how much energy the cartridge is producing. So you throw that same cartridge into a semi-automatic pistol, and frequently that round is not going to have the energy um, to cycle, especially as that gun gets dirty. Yeah, That round is going to foul. So you, know, you go up through calibers and there's so many it's dizzying i have a hard time keeping track of all the different calibers and types yeah. of rounds there are out there but you get up into the 357 magnums um which is a narrower round but has a lot more power you know 38 specials 38s 380s are all nines are all basically the same basically the same diameter around and the 380s an attractive cartridge because it's a little bit smaller you'd think you could get a few more rounds in the gun that can be true it's not necessarily true but you also think because it has less energy that it's going to be more pleasant to shoot and the problem with the 380 is that it's moving pretty slow it's yeah. uh, one of those automatic cartridges that I, th I don't know i think like browning invented some automatic like the 32 acp and the or the 32 automatic the three 380 automatic and the 45 auto and um those rounds all move fairly slow to my knowledge and you know again Correct me if I'm wrong, but look, the, the fundamental concept is that uh, defensively, if you want to use a 380, you're usually using it in a plus P, which means they've, I don't know if they've altered the way the powder's mixed or if they've just put more powder in there, but it produces the round um, to higher velocities when it comes out the barrel. And now you've put something that's moving just as fast as the 9 into generally a smaller frame at yeah. that point. So, um, and again, polymer frames, you know, size of frame, I, I, I said size of frame earlier, but it's really the mass, it's the total mass. So it's the size and the weight of the frame and the energy coming out of the cartridge. So um, I really like nine millimeter. It's one of the cheapest rounds on the market. So you can get more practice in with it mm -hmm. than say with a 45. Uh, 45 is a decent round, but you're going to be paying you know, at times twice as much for a 45 round. Yeah. Um, you know, it, the market fluctuates, but there was a time when I was paying 22 cents around for a nine and 45 cents, 44 cents for a 45. So you can guess I would get a lot more training into the nine millimeter if I had a budget. Yeah. So, um, but they do make a number of nine millimeter firearms out there that um, have a, a fairly small grip surface. Um, I have large-ish hands for a guy, not super large. I bet I bet your hands are bigger than mine. No, yeah, I would think know. so. So norm that has something to do with your firearms choice also, that if it's a bigger grip, larger firearm is generally going to interface with you better. Not not an unbreakable rule, but a general rule of thumb. Yeah. And um, 
you don't obviously want a boat hanging hanging off of you, but you know, if you're looking at a firearm choice, you should be looking for something that you can practice with, that you enjoy practicing with, that you would also carry. Yeah. And you generally want to carry, and again, general rule, carry the largest firearm that works well with your hand, but you can still conceal. Yeah. And uh, you're going to find a lot of offerings in nine millimeter with that rule of thumb. Yeah. And you know, you may find, you know, that maybe you prefer a slightly smaller or a slightly larger than than would be normal. But um, there are a ton of firearms out there in nine millimeter that. Uh, even our small concealable handle well have a decent amount of rounds in the magazine, uh, and I really, I really prefer that round for for all those reasons. Yeah. So, and uh, ballistically, I mean, you talk to guys and they think you know this round or that round performs better. Nine millimeter um, delivers energy on target as well as you'd ever want. Yeah. You know, the only rounds that are really, really substantively better are going to produce so much energy that they're going to make it harder to shoot. Yeah. So, and I've never fired 10 millimeter, but some guys I've talked to say it produces more energy in the gun, and it really jumps. Or 50 caliber, you know, um, oh, like a Desert Eagle. So much fun. You know, I'm sure it's fun, <laughs> but it's not something you want to practice with for defensive or carry around on you. You know, no, so. that, that would just hurt all of it. If you were yeah. practicing yep. with like a good 50 all the time, yeah, oh, man, yep. you'd just be sore. And, yep. and so, um, <laughs> you know, again, going back to our class, our class types are 101 and R2. Our 101 focuses on that stuff. You know, um, safety. You know, these firearms, these nines, are, are a pretty good fit for most people, and we'll we'll sample some firearms to students to show them, you know, what would fit their hand size, and we'll try to get them through something that seems really boring called, uh, I think the NRA handbook calls it the cycle of fire, and it's basically everything the shooter should do, you know, gripping the gun, um, sight alignment, sight picture, uh, hold control, trigger control, breath control, and follow through. And uh, I'm sure I messed up the order a little bit because the syllabus wasn't sitting in front of me. But <laughs> essentially, if you do all those things and you understand the limitations of them, like hold control, if you point at an object and watch how much your hand moves, your hand moves. There's nothing you can just stop it. And accepting that and working with it rather than fighting it um, will actually help you produce better shots. Yeah. But um, that is a subject that is really boring to most people because it sounds like you're just droning on for a while. Yeah. But the reality is if you understand that stuff, um, you're going to get good mechanics for shooting and as you go down the line you know talking to some of our instructors who are you know tier one operators uh, one of their things that they'll frequently say to the students on the line was was it your sights or your trigger you know meaning you know did you mess up aligning your sights or did you mess up aligning your finger yeah uh, or having a trigger control and so those basics that that cycle of fire those are the fundamental building blocks off of which you build almost all of your shooting. There's some things called reflexive shooting where at extreme close ranges um, you may not even pick up your sights at all. If you know the situation you're in, you can actually take shots without without aiming in a traditional sense. You're yeah. still aiming, you know where your rounds are going to wind up, but that takes a lot of training and practice. Yeah. Um, and a lot of police officers, and I can attest to this because I did scenario training this past weekend, that when you're zeroed in on a target, when you identify something as, okay, they have a knife and they're about to stab my friend, you know, in this pretend world that we were in, um, my brain recognized the sights and then immediately, like, that's all I remember. I don't actually remember seeing the three dots that were on the front of my pistol. Yeah. Um, those three dots didn't exist realistically. Um, I was focused on my target and I took care of what I needed to take care of. Um, so there's, again, those are non-orthodox things that, uh, you know, would apply in very specific situations. Yeah. 
But our 102 classes, we mostly focus on working out of the holster. And we have these safety things that we worked on before. Now we have to apply those to actually working out of a holster. And that's kind of the training wheels thing because you may carry, you know, some women will carry in a purse. There's things like corset holsters. Um, there's, you know, some more expensive things that maybe you might wear under a nice dress. Um, you know, there's certain holsters we tend to encourage you to avoid, like the flashbang. If you want to Google that, you'll see <laughs> see what that is. Um, but you may wear an ankle holster, you know, and so normally in a 102 class, and a lot of the classes that people work through, they're not working out of the holster that they would carry with. Yeah. But it helps to get them into the mindset of what does a good draw look like? Um, how do I do this safely without injuring myself? How do I reholster without hurting myself? Um, all those fundamentals are worked on, and then normally we encourage people that, you know, exercising this exceptional level of safety, uh, making sure that, you know, when you train, you know, because a lot of training is done dry, you know, you, you get rid of all your ammunition and you train at home. Then again, you've got to understand what that means. You've got to know how to do it. You've got to make sure that you're utterly safe because most homes, there's other human beings around, you know, yeah. so messing up there. Um, without having formal instruction on how to do that um, could lead to a fatality. So I'll, I'll definitely preference that. But that's how most people get into a place where they're um, really um, taking all the things they've learned on a range day and they're really moving the football down the field and really learning how to be a good weapons handler. Yeah. Um, they would do that dry. Um, and again, we would encourage people in those circumstances to work out of the holster they're going to carry. Yeah. Um, or if you know if you carry a purse like a lot of women do and they have a holster in that purse, um, realize the limitations of that and realize how to unzipper that dadgum thing and get your firearm out to defend yourself. So. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. So yeah, there was a lot there. Uh, we're getting pretty close to our time limit. Sure. So people that want to reach out, learn more. Maybe take some classes. How do they get a hold of you? Um, so I always forget my phone number, so you'll excuse me. I don't use it often. You know, my, my other work number I've had for 15 years. So um, we are on Facebook. So if you look up Spitfire Firearms Training on Facebook, we should come up. Um, we also have a website, which is spitfirearmstraining.com. And we also have a phone number that you can leave a voicemail at if we don't pick up. It's 802-266-0757. And you can leave a message on any of those platforms for Ellen or for Nate, and we will get back to you. Okay. Awesome. Yep. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been fun. Yeah, I, I really love, appreciate I love time. every chance I get to talk guns. That's it for today, everyone. But it doesn't have to end there. Head over to iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or iHeartRadio to get more from New Hampshire's top entrepreneurs.